Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Michael, and like many of you, I'm partly still recovering from the uh, flurry of activity that goes about the Christmas season. And uh, but I'm excited about the new year and making a list of resolutions, the implication of which will make my life perfect and complete. So. I'm kidding. No, that's good. Uh, But Pastor Mark is out of town, and so I will be with you, and we will be looking at Philippians chapter 1. So if you have a Bible or a device that you have Philippians 1 on, go ahead and break that out now. Uh, This last fall, I joined the teaching team with the Senior High Youth Group. Um, Every Sunday night, we get down set the kids down on the floor back there and we go through the team. So this beginning this fall, I joined the team with two other guys and we went through with the book of Philippians. So before we go any further, what I'd like to do is I, I owe quite a bit of what I've learned about Philippians from these two other guys. And so I'm gonna do what we call a shout out. Now, when you do a shout out for a youth group, you always have to respond by doing something mildly obnoxious because you know you gotta connect with the kids. Not that I enjoy being mildly obnoxious at all. So here's, here's a couple options if you don't quite know what's going on right now. There's always the slow clap. You know, the sl- yeah, slow clap. You do one of those. Um, <laughs> some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Just stand by. You can do a woot. Do you know what a woot is? Come on. Let it, there you go. And my personal favorite is when you do a shout out is you just shout the person's initials like everybody should know what you're talking about. All right? So I owe a lot of what I know about Philippians from these two other youth group leaders, and so I just want to give a shout out to the venerable Kyle Denny, KD, thank you. And also, I have to uh, give a shout out to the always partially camouflaged Rich Bruce. RB, RB. We have a great youth group here at New Hope Church. We have uh, a group of leaders that are really invested in these kids. So if you know any kids, sixth grade, senior high, you know, uh, just bring them here, whether they want to or not, just drop them off. Maybe they don't even know what they're going to be here for. We'll take them and uh, we'll let the truth of God, the fellowship of that community build in these kids' lives and God is glorified in in that. Um, All right, well, We've done our shout outs. I'd like to pray with you and then we'll get started in Philippians 1. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we come here and we gather here today and sit at the foot of the truth of your words. God, I pray as we do every time that we dig into your word, Holy Spirit, make this clear to us. What should be weighty on us, let it be weighty. What should help clarify, let it clarify. Do things that we possibly can't do with these words and with these truths, which is to burn them into us, making us a brighter reflection of your goodness to this world. Uh, We pray this in Jesus and your holy, precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Last three weeks, if you've been hanging out at New Hope during the Christmas season, we have been, Pastor Mark has been talking about and teaching on the concept of light, that God is light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He's what's best. He is the purest, uh, the, the best. He's the light of the world. And not only is Jesus Christ the light of the world, but we too, because we are adopted into his family, we are supposed to be reflecting God's goodness and love and glory back into the world that God has made. We are the light as well. If you grew up in the church, maybe you remember the song? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. 
Is anybody else on Memory Road right now? And they're like, oh, I remember that one too, yeah. Yes, we are light. Our social media people here at New Hope Church, in responding to Mark's teaching on light, posted a meme to Facebook this week, and I had, I had nothing to do with this post, but I wanna show it to you. I, I got a screenshot of it, and I know some of those words are kind of light, no pun intended, so I'm gonna read it for you, and th this is not a, a quote from scripture, just so that you know, but this is just a summary of what Pastor Mark has been teaching us about light in the last three weeks. It reads like this. Letting our light shine allows people to see the beauty Jesus has worked in us. Work. That's what I want to focus on with you this morning, New Hope Church. Jesus, God, is working. Praise God, right? Jesus gave up his life on a cross. He rose from the grave. He defeated death. He justified all who would believe, unleashed blessing and power the world has never seen. He ascended into heaven and did not enter into retirement. I mean, if anybody deserved a little R&R &R after that project was completed, it would have been Christ. But no, Jesus did certainly win that victory over death. He certainly did ascend to heaven. He didn't get there and put his feet up. He went to work. Philippians chapter one, verse six. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, pause, good work in you. Everything God does is good. He doesn't speak or act any other way. And don't go thinking good like you've seen a good movie or had a good time. Don't cheapen this. This is God we're about we're talking about here. I'm not going to let you do that. God is able and is at work in you. It's useful work. It's honorable work. Now, I'm going to put another slide up here, and I just I feel I'm going to need to comment on it before I move on. It's the same verse, but what I've done is I've inserted into the slide some of the notes, some of the things that I've learned in studying this text this week. So from here on out, when we see a scripture verse, you might see other things in there, but just wanna make sure you understand the things that are in parentheses are not in the original text. These are just um, words I'm using to help us get a, a richer meaning. So in this screen, for example, you will know the words useful and honorable are not in the original text. There are things that I've put in there to help us get, gain a greater understanding. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good useful, honorable work, business, art, in you. Let that sink in for a minute. Try and grasp this. What does that say about you? What does that say about your value that the king of kings considers it both useful and honorable to work in you. I took music theory classes in high school. When you're going to school for music, music theory is a bit like boot camp. Nobody really likes being there, and at the end of it, the class is about half the size. Now, I, count me strange, I enjoyed music theory. So early in my junior year of high school, my theory teacher, who was also the orchestra conductor, approached me and said, Michael, uh, how would you like to write some music for the 
a high school orchestra that will play at the Spring Pops concert. And um, because I was young and not that smart, I instantly jumped at the chance. It had been about 10 years since a student had attempted this. And so I went to work. I went to work and not having thought about maybe the other classes I was taking, the jazz piano, the gymnastics, all the other activity, I was now pot committed to writing music for an orchestra in the spring. So you would have found me many long hours in my parents' basement sitting at the computer and I was thinking about every single note that every single person in that orchestra would play. Every little phrase, every articulation, every dynamic for every one of those 60-ish people. I worked for hours and hours and hours, and at one point, I even lost a chunk of work because a floppy disk failed on me. And if you know what a floppy disk is... <laughs> now... I had a lot of help from my teacher, obviously, and I had friends that were in the orchestra that could give me feedback on how to write music for this part and that part. But, but, but sure enough, you know, rehearsals and all that stuff, in spring of that year, with a black folder tucked under my arm, I walked into my high school in the spring to that spring pops concert with a stack of music that included in it a piece of music for every single person that was in that orchestra, a little piece of music I called To New Beginnings. How careful was I with that notebook? How valuable was that notebook to me? In a much, much greater way, much greater way, God working in you gives you enormous value. How valuable is the manuscript, is the symphony that God writes and is composing in you. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe, maybe you've heard it, God working in you. Okay, do you really believe it? Like, really Awkward pause. Think about that. I don't mind poking you on this one. Do you have it in you, the faith, to understand that God, God, to be at work in you? Or in your mind is somehow God a distant idea who's preoccupied with things that are far more important? Can you put your hand on your heart, if you want, can you put your hand on your heart and realize that in some way you are identifying the place of God's employment? His workshop, his easel, or his office? God is preoccupied. He has employed himself in you. In Christ, God is at work in me. Say that with me if you'd like. In Christ, God is at work in me. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. God working in you gives you enormous value. 
In praying and thinking about our time together this morning, church, I would like to pause, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I am a human. I know what this is like. We, um, we go through seasons where this truth doesn't necessarily match either our experiences or our feelings about our value. So what I would like to do is pray for you, and that's this. God's truth, you can bank on it, you can rely on it, regardless of how you're feeling in the moment. So I wanna pray that the Holy Spirit would encourage you that if you are in a season of life where maybe you're not entirely convinced that you are this workshop of God, that he and the power of his spirit would convince you in ways I can't. Let's pray. God, I pray for people here, all of us. And now, God, as we sit here, you know each one of us. You know the depths of our thoughts, our experiences, better than we even know ourselves. So, God, I pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that for those of us here who are struggling with understanding our own worth in you, God, that you would grant us the clarity to see the truth of your word and to rely on that even at times if we don't feel that way. Encourage us, lift our spirits. Bring us up to once again understand and fully appreciate our value in you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name, amen. Amen. Properly understood, God at work in you also gives you strength. Why? Because when you make appointments with friends to sit down and have coffee, to talk about things that are difficult, that are weighing on you, when you make that text thread so that you can make sure you can text out those prayer requests right as the stuff is going down. Now, those are all good things. Oftentimes, think about it. When we go through that process, we are concerned, we're wrestling, we're twisted up with the things that are happening around us, around us. God, however... As difficult as this might be to hear, God, however, is far more concerned with what he is doing in you than what he is doing around you. Are there any believers here that would be willing to give a brief testimony? Just say amen if you have found that to be true in your walk. Yeah. Strength comes from having that deep, deep assurance in your soul that God can and will use the difficult circumstances that we face that are around us for his good. And a lot of the time, that good that God is working through your circumstances is a work that he's doing in you. He's using your circumstances to make something in you. And when we exercise that faith, that trust in God, that the work that he is doing in us, we can just trust him that he's got it up pops strength to face it. Now, here's a preview of a verse Pastor Mark will be teaching early next year and proof from God's word that I'm not making this up. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If I were to ask you, do you know uh, someone who has great faith? If I were to say, think of somebody that you know that has us, us, is strong spiritually, spiritually strong. The way that I think about it and, and understand it is there are people that I get to be around, that I'm blessed to be around, that just being around them 
encourages me in my walk. When I describe this, does a person, does a name pop in your head for some of us? Now, let me ask you this question. That, that name that you're thinking about, that you're holding in your mind, somebody that you perceive as having a strong faith, did they get that way because their life was exceedingly easy? No. No. Properly understood, God at work in you gives you strength. For I am confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason that word perfect is in there is because in the context of this, he's talking about a work that will be completed to perfection. This work that God wants to do do in you is not just an improvement, it's not just an upgrade, but to make perfect. God knows he has plans for and will certainly make you perfect He'll make a perfect version of you someday in heaven. Every believer that you have had to say goodbye to is currently, right now, the perfect version of themselves in and with Christ in heaven. But, and yet, life in Christ is no waiting room. Amen? This is not a waiting room. The completion, the perfection of the work may occur in eternity, but if you are a believer, the work has already begun. We're gonna look at this work in more detail from this text from in verses nine through 11. In the remainder of our time together, we're gonna dig into these verses because these verses explain in detail and break apart this good work that I've been talking about. To get us started, I'm gonna put something on the screen, and once again, it, uh, it is these verses, but with my notes included in them. And what I wanna do is, before we dig in deeper, we're just gonna read us through this text and give us an overview of where we're going about this good work. So there it is on the screen. So we're gonna continue in Philippians chapter one, beginning at verse nine, it says this. This good work, that your love may abound still more and more. This is the source action that occurs in this good work. Love may abound. It's abounding love. Now, the the text continues with a clarification about that love. It's in real knowledge and all discernment. Now, that source action that's rooted in those things has a result. There are two results. There's an action and a state of being result. God doing a good work. That the resulting action is that so that we may approve the things that are excellent. And the resulting state, the resulting being, is in order to be sincere and blameless. Do you see that? Resulting action that we may approve and a resulting state of being. And then, interesting, near the end of our passage, we see the cause of it all. The root cause is that because we have been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. And then the very last thing the author of this text puts in there is the end purpose of it all, the why statement, which is to the glory and praise of God. Let's dig in. That your love may abound still more and more in. Now, it's a little word, but I want to pause and make sure we understand what that means because we fall in love and I get in trouble. So what are we talking about when we say that that the abounding love is in something? It it means this. It means that it's fixed. It's rooted. 
It goes deep. It's the opposite of something that moves. We don't get to make up what love is, is the point. This love is rooted, it's fixed. It has its root in real knowledge and all discernment. Yes, real knowledge, precise, correct, as in the opposite of fake. Um, this made me think of fake news. Do we all, are you with me, the fake news thing? Like, there are people out there that are making stuff up and then trying to convince you that it's a news story. To make matters worse, sometimes when people try and report about that fake news, they do it inaccurately. So you have people reporting falsely about someone that has falsely reported. Did I lose you? Yeah, they lost me months ago. I'm with you, no way. But, so fake knowledge, if we wanna examine what real knowledge is, I wanna contrast it with fake knowledge. We're gonna do a little exercise here together, church. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put a piece of information up on the screen that I'm designated as fake knowledge. And it goes like this. Here's some fake knowledge for you. You find ultimate purpose and value in exalting and making much of yourself. Hello, world. Look at me for the 39th time today. And by the way, notice how I'm holding the phone up in the air. You want to hold it up in the air because that the angle kind of makes you look lean and strong. But if you hold it down here, you know, you got a big nose and your chin pops out like that. So make sure when you're doing your selfie, you hold it up high. Another trick is if you're taking a selfie with a friend, right before you click that button, give them a little bump from the back so they kind of stumble forward. That way they'll be closer to the camera. They'll look bigger than you and maybe a little awkward. It just goes like that. But I'm serious. There are people, unknowingly or not, that are living and building their lives in a manner that is holding this to be an ultimate truth in their life, that they're gonna find purpose, they're gonna find value in exalting much of themselves. But guess what? That is not true. It's not true. It's objectively not true. I will show you the real truth, the correct truth, the correct, real, precise knowledge that this love needs to be rooted in is this. God gives you purpose and value in exalting Jesus Christ. This is true. I'm gonna go a little further with this. How many people are in misery in their wealth and privilege? There's gotta be more people today that have more stuff and more opportunity that are still miserable. But yet the persecuted Christian is singing a hymn. Why, <laughs> why do we use the term spoiled brat? Ever thought about that? We're clarifying what a brat is by using the word spoiled. Why didn't we use bankrupted? Is there a bankrupted brat? Is there a well-trained and raised to understand that this world is not there to give them everything they want, brat? <laughs> no. Is it because people that are power hungry, selfish, maybe they're not the sweetest people that we know about, maybe? This is why our love needs to be fixed in the word of God. Fake knowledge is dangerous to our well-being. It's dangerous. If we can't discern truth that is from God, that brings life from the garbage 
that people make up so that they can better use people and get more stuff, oh, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. That our love may abound more and more, fixed, rooted in real knowledge and all discernment. This is great, this idea of discernment in this text. This is the idea that we are doing, we are sensing, we are experiencing love, and we are allowing that experience to inform our thinking. We're not thinking love and letting it inform our actions. We're doing it. We're out there. We're, we're experiencing it. And I fear sometimes, church, we get that flipped on its head. We get that turned around. I'm so grateful that we are at a church that unapologetically sticks to the truth of God's word. Amen? Because sometimes I get genuinely concerned for the world I live in and the culture and the society that I live in. I feel like there's this this effort to kind of twist things and specifically to twist the greatest commandment, to kind of change it. And I'm gonna just take this opportunity to point it out and we'll move on. But the greatest commandment, if I want to remind you, Jesus stated these, these two sentences, the greatest commandments. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But I'm concerned because I feel a weight, a pressure that I can't quite put my finger on, but it, it's as if the world wants to change this commandment into this. Know about the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor if they think like you. That is dangerous stuff. That is not God's precise truth. That is twisting and discerning that we see in Philippians 1 is allowing our experiences of loving to shape our thinking. I want to take a moment and do some audience participation, if you will, I'm gonna give you a chance to give a testimony to the other people in this auditorium about the truth of what I'm talking about. You'll understand in a second. All right, so who, right here in this room, who among you has come to know more about patience in and through the things that God has given you to endure? Hmm? All right, look around. Look around, everyone. These are good testimonies. All right, I'm going to do another one. Who, who of you has come to know more about the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ in and through needing to love someone in a way that requires a sacrifice? So that, that, that is God at work in you. That's God using the circumstances around you to make something in you. So those of you who just raised your hand, your life is a living testimony to the truth of God's word that we just looked at. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless are two results. Approving the things that are excellent. This is cool. This is what this means. To approve the things that are excellent is to examine something very, very carefully, to look at it, to look at it very carefully. And with that idea, combined with that idea is this. When, when you discover something that is wicked or evil or bad, 
what that means is that you take that thing and you put it far, far away from where you are. You physically remove it from where you're, you're at. So approving um, the things that are excellent with your life is examining things that come in. You look at it. Examine it. Get to know it. And when you find something that shouldn't be there, you find something wicked or evil, you physically remove it. You get it out of there. Uh, as a, I'm a dad, and I'm also married. Married? Yeah, that makes me... Husband makes me married. Right. Sorry, I got confused there. I'm a dad, and I'm a husband. So what that means is that there's a whole crew of people in my life that are very, very precious to me. Very precious to me. And when, when people are precious to you, you want to keep them safe. So I am no home or self-defense expert by any stretch, but I do try and learn about these things. I listen to people that know and learn and then try and teach my wife and my kids these things so that they can be safe when they're out and about. Again and again, when learning about how to keep my wife and kids safe, experts in self-defense will tell you that your very first and maybe your most important line of defense is being aware of your surroundings. In other words, you're going to be paying attention. You're going to be scrutinizing. You're going to be getting to know the things that are around you. Well, why would you do that? It's so that you can be aware of danger before it gets too close to you. Someone looking for violence, somebody wanting to do harm, I don't want those people anywhere near the people I love. But if you haven't carefully examined what comes at you, then what can hurt you can get close. God is saying to you and I, look at it. If it's not supposed to be there, get it out. Get it out. If it's not supposed to be in your house, get rid of it. If you're not supposed to be talking to that person, if you're not supposed to be dealing with that relationship, hang up the phone. This is a this is a problem. How many messes have we caused in our life? We don't examine something carefully enough we, to, to acknowledge it as being bad or wicked. We let it get close, and then it does all sorts of damage. So get it out of there. Separate it out a long, long way away. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. In Philippians 1, we're looking at a two-part result of this good work that God is doing, this love that is abounding more and more. The first one, approving one, is excellent, was that action I was just talking to you about, removing the things. The second result is a change in a state or your being. God changes who you are. He literally changes who you are. And this is the light that we've been giving so much attention to lately. This concept, this truth of God changing who you are is all throughout the Bible. It is a huge theme and thread that runs through this entire book. And I'll prove it to you. Look on the screen. Once I was lost, now I am found. I was a slave to sin, now I am a slave to I was an orphan, now I am a child of God, we could do this all day, all day. It's all throughout the Bible. And in saying those things, if you can say those things are true about you, you're declaring that to be true, that is evidence of God's work in you. And we owe it all to Jesus Christ. 
We owe it all to him. Why? Well, take a look at the text. The cause of this whole operation, the the root cause, the underlying why, is that the fact that when we come to Jesus Christ and receive him as our Lord and Savior, we are filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through him to the glory and praise of God. Jesus Christ is what has made this all possible. The good work in you of love abounding, that love that's rooted in real knowledge, that results in your ability to approve of things that are excellent and discern. It's all because of him. But I also have to say this. If there is no righteousness from Christ, then your heart is not a place of God's employment. If Jesus Christ is not your Lord, then your life is not yet his symphony. You need to be first filled with the righteousness of him. If you are not in Christ, then you are not yet his easel. But you could be. And if any part of this right now is turning you off because it sounds intolerant or maybe unfair would be a better word, let me assure you, it absolutely is unfair. Christ will not be fair to you when you genuinely and humbly approach him to be your savior. He will lavish you with love that you have not earned. He will make available blessings and knowledge and truth and strength that you couldn't afford if you sold your soul to the devil. He will be so unfair to you that you just might want to worship and praise him for the rest of your life. As I hope every believer in here would be willing to attest to. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. A week or so before Christmas, I was in the kitchen with my wife Marla and I believe my daughter Grace kind of rolled in. It was one of those rare moments but we were both home in the week before Christmas and in the same room. And we were just trying to get a handle on how everything was gonna happen. Like the list of things that needed to be done is is long. So when can you wrap? I can't, I got this. I gotta go over here. Um, How are we gonna do this? How are we gonna get nine people to sleep comfortably in my basement for a week? I don't have a very big house. I don't have a very big house. And in the middle of all this conversation, I had what I thought was a moment of clarity. I thought it was a moment of clarity. I said, hey, Marla, Instead of making, you know, the Christmas Eve meal from scratch, which is a lot of work, why don't we just buy it, right? <laughs> However, Joe, I, I learned pretty quickly that in my wife's world, that is what we call a non-starter. <laughs> that is just not an option. And I got a brief lesson in how she does things, and I'm like, okay, that sounds good to me, because... Marla, like many of you, she enjoys it. She wants to do that. She wants to make the spread. She wants to get everything out and cook her stuff. And Because you know how that is. You do that, you know? Well, my tomatoes, I kind of make them like this. And we're just different than those tomatoes. Let me show you these tomatoes. And then th- these cookies are so great and everything. And to set before people, she enjoys that. Uh, my father used to take... Uh, 
when I was younger, we were living at home, he used to enjoy taking us out to really fancy meals every once in a while. And I still have a memory of, of one of those fancy meals where it was actually, uh, they brought all your food out, but over your food is one of those shiny silver bowls. Ever seen those like in a movie? Like, like they're over your thing. And so the, the servers come out and everybody gets one of those things with a silver bowl about it. And of course the servers kind of walk around with that stately air of arrogance about them, you know? And everybody looks at it, and they got to make sure you time it, and then one, two, and they, and they lift it off, and ah, there it is. There's the meal. Now look at, look up with me at this verse from Hebrews 12. Use a little biblically informed imagination. Step with me into some point or some place in eternity past. Let's use our imagination here for a minute. We have to see that at some point in eternity past, God the Father invited his son to his table. He sat his son down at the table. And in the perfection of their existence together in fellowship, God the Father set something before his son. And I'm using my imagination. I'm kind of imagining the father putting one of those silver bowls over it maybe. I can see him putting his hand on the lid, pausing to make sure the son understood how profound this moment was. And at just the right time, after his son had seated, God the Father did that. I want to ask you, what did God the Father show his son? Look up at human, uh, Hebrews 12 here. Does anybody want to take a stab at it? What did he show him? Heaven. Hebrews 12, 2. Who for the joy set before him. Nobody wanted to take a stab at it. That's okay. Joy. Joy. God the Father revealed joy. You know what that joy is? I'd be glad to tell you that joy is the endless and certain eternity with countless numbers of believers with him in heaven. It's that, it's the sea of believers perfected by God's good work to be enjoyed in fellowship with God the Father and the Son in heaven forever. Jesus weighed the completion of his good work in you. He weighed the completion of his good work in you and I against the torment and shame and horror of dying a brutal death on a Roman cross. And at some point in eternity past, in that moment, Jesus turned to his father and said, I'll do it, Dad. I'll do it. This is the Jesus Christ that you can come to, who for the joy set before him is working in you to make you certain for a perfect future with him in heaven someday. To the glory and praise of God. God is busy in you and every believer. And now, 
he wants you to tell somebody about it. How is all this, how is this good work, how um, the, the love rooted in knowledge that results in our ability to approve, how is all this uh, bring glory to God? How does this work? Well, as a musician, I wanna, I wanna phrase it for you this way. If God has composed a song in you, and I think we've seen from God's word that we can say that he is. If God has composed a song in you, you are the only one who can sing it. My junior year of high school with that symphony, I didn't go through all the trouble of making that and then not go to the concert to play it. This is your testimony. This is your testimony. Share the work God is doing in you. Let it give hope and light to other people. God is on the move. We like to say that at New Hope. I actually like the phrase quite a bit. God is on the move. And today, I think we've learned a little bit about how he moves. But remember, remember this. This is important. God moves in the direction of his praise and glory to the glory of God the Father. You can count on it every time. So don't let the composition that God has worked in you go unheard. Share it to the glory and praise of God. Let's not just enjoy this idea, but encourage one another to mature, to abound in love, to be fixed in the real knowledge of God's word, approving what is excellent, becoming sincere to the praise and glory of God. And let's let the light that he's making in each one of us shine in a way that this world cannot ignore. Amen. I'd like to pray with you and then we'll dismiss. Lord, we thank and praise you for the way that you have um, spoken into us that your word could reveal to us and show us things about our value in your eyes that, that would encourage and strengthen us to live our lives with more boldness for you. So I pray for this group of believers, all that are here and those maybe that be watching online, Lord God, that you would help us to understand with greater clarity as we walk out just how valuable we are to you and the value that we have in expanding and reflecting your light back into this world to the praise and glory of your wonderful name. Pray this, Jesus, for you. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, happy new year. Have a great day. God bless.